0: Check it out. Our friends at Noon just debuted a new powder product, Noon Immunity 3, that combines vitamins, electrolytes, and prebiotics. Visit NoonLife.com, that's N-U-U-N-L-I-F-E.com, to receive 20% off your order when you use promo code NoonAMR20. Feel empowered with a birdie. When you activate your birdie personal safety alarm, the alarm emits a loud siren and flashing strobe light to help deter an attack. Right now, She's Birdie is offering our listeners 15% off their first purchase when you go to She's she'sbirdie.com slash AMR. Give a refresh to your running wardrobe with pieces from the Fall 2021 collection from Corsa. The brand, available exclusively through Roadrunner Sports, is dedicated to delivering original performance-driven apparel designed for runners by runners. Get $20 off your order at roadrunnersports.com slash AMR. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by Tish Hamilton. Hello, Tish. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I am in an exceptionally good mood. Well, Uh, you
1: have to tell us why you're in an exceptionally good mood.
0: um, You know, and I didn't anticipate this. Today is, I didn't anticipate feeling this way. It's the first real day of school in Portland, Oregon here since March 13, 2020
1: oh my goodness yeah
0: yeah so um I give it that qualifier first real day because uh there was it's kind of like glorified study hall uh as an option last maybe April May and part of June and only my girl twin Daphne opted to do that and her twin brother John did not want to do that. So, um, but there in that, there were, um, very explicitly no new lessons, no new tests, no new quizzes. Like they was just getting kids together in classrooms, uh, um, and reviewing stuff, I guess. So anyway, so this morning I, um, dropped my son John off, or I should say, uh, he dropped himself off because I was in the passenger seat. He was practicing his driving. Uh-huh. <laughs> it was, um, I had that was the carpool with him, just the you know the two of us. I guess so. It's not really a carpool. Um, was one I would say in the top ten, if not top five, things that I
1: missed the most
0: during the pandemic.
1: because uh-huh. um, you had you had alone time with him. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes, exactly, and and uh, just that time to talk about everything and nothing at all. And uh, so it's very funny. I said, "Oh, I want to play a song," and he. <laughs> guest he, um he was he said one which was this song that he uh, that i just love that he uh his dance his um group dances to and i'm like nope and then he says this other one which was this song they did i think in 5th grade that just makes me cry every single time
2: mm-hmm.
0: and then i was like oh, no, no. so i played this song that uh, was playing on loop on repeat outside their first day of 6th grade when i dropped them off and Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, and I was like, oh, this is the second time I've listened to it today. I already listened to it on my run. (laughs) So are your kids, your younger kids, are they now in 11th grade, 10th or 11th grade?
0: They are good memory. They're, they are juniors. They are in 11th grade. Yes. Yes. Because your daughter is, this is her senior year, right? That's right. That's right. It's her
1: senior year. And we start next week, next Wednesday. So a week from today. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yes. So I, um, I mean, I shed some tears after I dropped John off because, it was so momentous and I couldn't believe this day has finally arrived, but then oh, I just kept listening to music and, and gosh, I just, just I'm amped up. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, oh my gosh. And um, so John's school starts uh, today at eight 30. That's when it typically starts. And that's when Daphne's school will typically start, but they had um, only freshmen come back to her school at eight 30 and then all the other kids will start at 10 30. So She's starting two hours later than her brother, and so could not get a picture of the two of them together um, in our typical, you know, first day of school shot. But they right. each they each let me take a picture, several pictures of them in that spot, like separately. And I'm like, wow, and Daphne, wow, Daphne even <laughs> smiled. What? I mean, like, come on. Are I you know. sure you have teenagers? <laughs> I know, I know. And uh, so before I came down here to record, I had yelled up to Daphne. I'm like, Daphne. Is there any chance I can take your picture? She's like, now? And I'm like, yeah. And she she pauses and she goes, Did John let you? (laughs) And I said, Yes, John let me. She's like, Okay. I was like, ah. that's
1: why you're in a good mood oh, yeah
0: yeah right there we've hit the nail on the head a, a exactly. rare moment of
1: teenage compliance
0: <laughs> so yeah yeah but gosh john had been up since six o'clock i don't know where there was just, and he the only explanation he said oh i really wanted to get a bagel and some yerb which uh means he wanted to go to this bagel place get a you know bagel with cream cheese and a yerba mate all
1: and- right <laughs>
0: like, okay. Um, so I mean, we had some time to kill and we're, we're watering our neighbor's garden. I'm like, well, do you want to come help me water? He's like, okay. I just don't want to get my clothes dirty. Like, like you won't (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) like one of the plants. I'm just soaking this all in. So, (laughs) oh my goodness. So wow. Senior year. This is, this is big.
1: This is big. Yep. Yep. She's got her eye on the prize. She's ready to be done. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so now did she take SATs or ACTs or anything? Yes, she did SATs. Um, and uh, our school, she was in school last year. Oh, okay. uh, and, and and the last, it, it was crazy, right? You know, it was, you know, on, off, on, off, half days, you mm. know, every other day, this, that, the other thing. By the end of the year, though, they were going every day full days for the last like six weeks okay uh so so um they're you know they're they're ready to do that drill again and yes she took sats and many of the colleges now are test optional yes uh, i've heard that yeah which is like good news bad news because i Mm -hmm. you know my daughter not to brag (laughs) she did really well well, yes she's a good test she's a good test taker i mean Uh that's all there is to it she's good at taking tests Uh Uh Uh, and so she's got a pretty decent score like oh too bad (laughs) Is there a humble brag
0: section in this essay or application? Because I want to fill my scores in.
1: Uh, uh, right. <laughs> well, you better submit them anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just don't understand how colleges are making decisions. I know. On, you know, if if tests are optional, and you know, I really feel grades kind of mean nothing these days. With. I, mean, I know
1: i know and and it, it i I, don't, I feel for them and the other mm-hmm. thing of course is you know like so then what do you base it on right extracurricular activities there haven't been any extracurricular mm-hmm. activities for the mm-hmm. past year and a half mm-hmm. like all the things she would have done she didn't do like, her camp right. closed you know so like mm-hmm. i don't know how they're gonna do this but
0: yeah yeah neither do i yeah i don't understand it
1: interesting to see how it it shakes out hmm
0: mm-hmm. yeah 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 so good well um we have a topic that is very timely um uh, some hints are hurricane ida floods in tennessee raging wildfires in lake tahoe record-breaking heat here in the pacific northwest this summer what do all those things have in common they have climate change the time is now to talk about it and how it applies to runners um, so we have our guest today is Jennifer Vanos, who is an assistant professor at the School of Sustainability at Arizona State University. In her research, Dr. Vanos focuses mostly on heat and air pollution and examines health impacts on vulnerable populations such as children and athletes. She teaches a class on climate change and health. Jennifer is pregnant with her first baby, and she's a runner. She'll join us after this break. Stay with us. When I find a product that I enjoy and it works for me, I stick with it. That's why I've been a devoted Noon customer since long before AMR was in existence, and why it pleases me so much that Noon has supported another mother runner since our earliest days, more than a decade. Dimity and I both love the Noon family of hydration tablets and powders, and use them several times a day as part of our athletic endeavors and our healthy lifestyle. I drink Noon Sport immediately before I embark on a workout. Like pre-run, I drop a citrus fruit flavor tablet into a bottle of water and let it dissolve while I put on my shoes and socks. I drink the entire bottle right before I head out the door. During the workday, as an impetus to drink more water and top off my nutritional intake, I drink a Noon Vitamins. And now I'm excited to work Noon Immunity 3 into my rotation. Immunity 3 is a brand new individual serving powder that combines vitamins, electrolytes, and prebiotics. See, that's where they get the three thing from. Noon Immunity 3 harnesses the power of hydration to provide a triple pathway of support for the immune system. It's available in two flavors, mandarin orange and superberry. Yes, please. Whatever flavor or variety of Noon you want, get 20% off your entire order by visiting noonlife.com and using promo code NoonAMR20. That's N-U-U-N-L-I-F-E.com and code NoonAMR20. N-U-U-N-A-M-R-20. 2-0 2-0 to save 20%. Whether going for a run, walking your pup, or headed to your parked car, you always want to feel safe. With Birdie, you can keep living your life and doing what you love with added peace of mind. Birdie is a personal safety alarm designed to be easy to carry and simple to use. A Birdie is the size and shape of a regular keychain, yet when you activate your Birdie with a quick pull, the alarm emits a loud 130 decibel siren and flashing strobe light to help deter an attack. Now I'll admit, I haven't sounded the alarm, yet I'm told 130 decibels is as loud as a jet plane 100 feet overhead. Unlike pepper spray, mace, or other deterrents, Birdie is no danger to you. Feel confident to use it without the worry. I'm reminded of one of my beloved father's adages, better safe than sorry. Birdie goes wherever you do. The alarm has a brass keychain and it stows easily in the pocket of your running bottoms. And the alarm is now available in eight colors, including a fabulous rainbow pride one. If you have kids headed off to college, follow my lead and give them a Birdie. The product was created by two moms, partly because they wanted their kids to be safer when they headed off to college. Right now, She's Birdie is offering our listeners fifteen percent off their first purchase when you go to She'sBirdie.com/amr. Go to She's Birdie, spelled S H E S B I R D I E dot com/amr for fifteen percent off your first purchase. She'sBirdie.com/amr. While I'm not wishing away the last days of summer, I am eagerly awaiting the release of the fall line of running apparel from our friends at Corsa. Corsa is the Roadrunner Sports brand of running apparel. It's designed by runners for runners. You might remember we had Corsa's head designer, Tracy, as a guest on our show earlier this year. Tracy's a hard-working mother runner who's run more than a dozen marathons, so she knows how to make running clothes functional and fun. And Corsa's fall 2021 line is the first complete collection with Tracy leading the charge on each piece. I just know she pays attention to key details like wide secure waistbands, soft yet durable fabrics and stylish solids interspersed with fun prints. I'm a sucker for print leggings as is Dimity. Keep an eye on our Instagram account this month and next as we'll be featuring numerous corset tops, bottoms and outerwear in our grid and stories. You need to experience corset for yourself and we have an amazing exclusive offer for our community. Shop the entire Corsa collection at roadrunnersports.com AMR to get $20 VIP cash to spend on your first Corsa apparel purchase, plus a free 90-day trial in the Roadrunner Sports VIP program. Here's the short version. Go to roadrunnersports.com AMR and you get $20 off your first Corsa purchase. As always with, always with Roadrunner Sports, you get free shipping on your order. Don't delay. Right after this episode, scoot over to Roadrunnersports.com slash AMR to save $20 on your first Corsa apparel purchase. Roadrunnersports.com slash AMR. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm I'm really excited to be here. Good, good. So tell us a bit about your running background as well as telling us if you're running during your pregnancy.
2: (laughs) Yeah, so um, first question running background. got started in grade school, was really into the sprints, of course, as as every young grade schooler is wanting to be the fastest out there. Um, And then high school moved up to uh, 400 and 400 meter hurdles. So I just love the hurdles um, all throughout high school. And then um, being from Canada, um, in college, you don't have outdoors, you just have indoors. And there's no 400 meter hurdles indoors. Um, So I became a mid D runner. So I really focused on 400, 600, 1000 meter 800 whatever kind of relays they wanted to throw me in and that was really fun um and after my first year of, of college because it became more distancy um my coach back home said let's try a steeple chase," because I was still uh 19 wow. and under uh-huh. and it's 2k steeple and so with my hurdling skills and, and my new kind of distance mid-d uh-huh. um experience I did the chase and was able to have some success there and, and was able to um, do Canada summer games and then represent, um, Canada at the junior Pan Am games, but that my steeplechase career was short-lived due to injuries. So never really went back to it and then stuck with more mid D indoors in college. And then now since college and moving around lots, and, um, uh, I do a lot of running still, but a lot of cycling, um, hiking, mountain biking, but obviously not as much during pregnancy. Um, but I have been able to run a little bit. Um, Obviously first trimester, you're pretty tired, Mm -hmm. um, and dealing with nausea a little bit. So less than, and I also came into pregnancy with a a good bout of plantar fasciitis, Uh, but that's actually been (laughs) healing slowly. And in my second trimester, I've run a lot more. Um, and actually part of it is, is just so hot here in Arizona that Mm -hmm. that's kept me from running and then trying if gyms are open or I feel comfortable going to the gym right now, I'll try and do a little bit on the treadmill, but I'm, I do not like running on the treadmill. So, Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I I got to go home to Canada for two weeks in August and it was just so relatively cool for me. I ran almost every single day and just (laughs) absolutely loved it. And so, um, yeah, I think, I'm still trying to run a bit, but now being back in Arizona, again, the, the heat's been bad. So I'm looking forward to the fall mm-hmm. and being able to run outdoors safely without dealing with, um, high heat exposure. And then, but we'll see how far I can run into the third trimester. I got a fit splint. So that's been helpful oh. already. And so I'm hoping, hoping to, to, to keep going a little bit longer with being able to wear that.
0: So is that like a, a belly band type thing? Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, okay. Interesting.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Jennifer, tell us about how you got involved in climate
2: science as a career. Yeah, um, so undergraduate degree uh, really focused on environmental sciences, but I had uh, a few courses on weather and climate. And when I took my first meteorology course, which wasn't until about third year, um, I really fell in love with meteorology and climate Mm -hmm. and I don't think I had even heard of the term climate change, though, before that class. Hmm. Um, And it was one of those classes that was really hard, but you couldn't put down. And I just wanted to know more about it. And so that's kind of I found that, okay, I I really like this stuff. It's really interesting to me. So I kind of continued on into um, that world of atmospheric sciences in my Ph.D., but my Ph.D. project started to combine what we know about climate and um, micro-scale meteorology like in urban areas with what those impacts are on humans. Mm. And so um, got really into human biometeorology and assessing um, how humans feel and respond to different thermal environments mm. uh, within urban areas. And that kind of led me into the world of both understanding um, urban climate, urban heat islands, uh, air pollution issues, And then also I got a chance to work um, with researchers at the University of Guelph in my school within the Gatorade Sports Institute in their uh, thermal heat chamber. Mm. And so that was really exciting for me to be able to help them with that project. And also we did some outdoor experiments um, with the subjects and I was able to kind of bring in all the weather instrumentation and and get all the measurements for them. And so having those experiences really propelled me forward in, in this intersection between the worlds of weather, climate and human health and what different exposures for different durations mean for different people, um, uh, especially related to extreme heat. And then how, how can we mitigate those exposures to try and save lives or keep people from getting sick? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's mm-hmm. so that's so interesting. And, and it feels a little frivolous to talk about running uh, versus like people getting sick from the heat. But we're runners and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, obsessed with running temperatures. And I see you and you mentioned this earlier, Tempe, Arizona, right? Yeah. You guys are having 100 degrees pretty much all week. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> yeah. So you're probably dealing with extreme heat, both in your research and your running.
2: Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons I really like working at Arizona State University and why it was such an attractive place to come work, because the, the lab is just our backyard or <laughs> the city. Right. And so it's always I mean, from May to October, it's, it's going to be quite hot mm-hmm. um, and um, a day of 100 degrees Fahrenheit is quite normal here mm-hmm. And uh, I think last year we had over 153 days uh, oh, that wow. were 100 degrees Oh night, my gosh. Then, uh, over 50 that were 110. And so wow. it is hot, and that's kind of the normal here, right? Um, however, depending on the time of the summer, it's going to be either hot and dry, early summer, and then um, normal situation would be getting monsoon storms, um, mm. especially in August. So this year we've had some really great monsoon activity. So a lot more rain, more clouds, um, and a bit cooler temperatures. So we haven't been hitting as many <laughs> extreme mm. heat days, but then what that brings with it is the moisture and the humidity, oh which as we all know, as runners is not fun to deal with either. So oftentimes running in June when it's hotter can feel nicer than running in August when it's cooler just because of the humidity being much Mm -hmm. higher in August. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously that's something I think about a lot in my research um, and then can apply it to our lives here and our research here and how we're working to understand um, differing heat exposures uh, in the city.
0: Right on, wow. Wow, I had no idea there were that many extremely hot <laughs> days. That is um making me sweat a little bit. So yep. <laughs> so so science can be a bit soupy for this liberal arts gal over here. So so I want to parse our conversation into first about heat, then air quality. Mm-hmm. So in perusing some of your research, I was intrigued by this snippet that Heat should not be conflated with high temperatures, which I took to mean that heat is more than a number on a thermometer. Mm-hmm. So um, detail for us the things that go into the concept and the reality of heat, especially its influence on athletes' body. I mean, it's not just that we sweat you know buckets and buckets of, of perspiration.
2: Right, yeah. Um, and so yeah, that that research study got more into the nuances of what is heat? What do we mean when we say, an extreme heat day. Um, and and we do often just say high temperatures. Um, but we know that and every single one of us knows um, that if you're in the sunlight, you're going to feel a lot hotter. And if it's a humid day, it's going to feel a lot worse. And if there's no airflow, it's going to feel also a lot hotter. And so when we're trying to understand the overall impact of extreme heat on the human body, if we were only to account for air temperature in our models and calculations or predictions, then we would be missing a huge chunk of what's actually causing the human energy balance to um, become too high and our bodies to overheat. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think instinctively, we all know that we can run on shaded trails or, um, we can run at cooler times of the day, or uh, it feels easier to run when it's less humid out. Um, and all of those kind of combine into uh, influencing the whole body's experience. And then the other two factors that are a massive uh, component of how we feel um, when we're outdoors doing exercise is what we're wearing. And um, what we're doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that metabolic heat component um, is a massive driver of our energy balance. And as we increase our metabolic rate, our body's going to do really smart things like start sweating more and start moving blood to the skin surface to try and lose heat, mm-hmm. uh, which is great. Uh, but if we push ourselves too hard and we can't um, rid the heat faster than gain the heat, then mm-hmm. our core temperature can start going up.
1: Mm-hmm. so it's interesting to hear you say earlier that like it's it's actually easier or feels easier to run in june when it's hot but less humid and harder yeah. in august when it's maybe slightly less hot but more humid and and mm-hmm. so i'm also wondering like what to, what does somebody from arizona consider humid like what's your percentage humidity <laughs> exactly
2: <laughs> right yeah so um in june it could be like 10 percent Relative humidity with 100 degrees Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. which feels fine, honestly. And wow, um, but I often will go try and run in the dark. So at 7:30 or 8, it gets it gets dark right. pretty early here in the summer, and so you r- reduce that radiation component from the sun, and it's still hot, um, but it's dry, and so you're running and you really don't get much sweat on your skin because it's evaporating so efficiently. Right. Right. And so, and so, yeah, this is really specific to Arizona summers, but um, right. If I were to try and go run in Houston in the summer, I don't think I would do that (laughs) because of the humidity levels. It would be quite intense, but again, the temperatures would be lower, just the humidity higher. And one of the reasons that this is, you know, what people experience. Um, and and we saw the impacts of humidity in in the Tokyo Olympics, which was just fascinating to, to see how all the athletes dealt with it. But, Mm -hmm. um, our body's main mechanism to lose heat during hot conditions is through sweating. And if you're only sweating and it's not evaporating from the skin, Mm -hmm. it's just dripping. Then we call that inefficient sweating because Mm. in order to cool, you need to evaporate the sweat because it takes energy to evaporate water. And therefore that feels like coolness to us. And so mm-hmm. that's our most important mechanism to rid heat from the body. Um, and it, that can happen very efficiently most of the year in Arizona and in a place like Tokyo, it is very inefficient. And so the, the human body just, uh, it can't lose heat as well through that Avenue. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's one of the reasons, um, we can definitely feel much less stressed, uh, in, in a hot and dry climate. And I mean, this is why we use things like the Humidex to try and give people a better understanding of what, or sorry, Humidex is used in Canada, heat index is used in, um, the U S. <laughs> um, so this feels like temperature of what, what people are really experiencing, mm-hmm. um, in general, but just combining temperature and humidity. right. Um, right. So Yeah, but that doesn't account for wind speed, your activity, um, sunlight, it it assumes you're in the shade. So Mm. I think that's really important. And the other really, I think, important factor when we're talking about temperature and humidity is just knowing that when you're dealing with relative humidity, the higher the air temperature, the lower the relative humidity is going to be. And so that's why on 110 day, like a 10% relative humidity in Phoenix is is not that uncommon in, in the early summer. Um, but then the lowest temperature of the day, so around 4am, let's say, um, we'll have the highest relative humidity, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and so they're completely inversely related, Mm -hmm. um, which is often forgotten sometimes if we're just kind of looking at the whole day in general and we might say, Oh, it was this hot with this much humidity, but we're picking the (laughs) the both maximums of the day, which never coincide. Right,
1: right. And um, I'm somebody who runs. um, I'm I'm in New Jersey right now. I was in Savannah last week. So I'm dealing with so much humidity and so much inefficient sweating.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was actually just in New Jersey uh, a couple weeks ago too, and and did a little bit of running. Yeah, so you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Really want to find the breezy routes. To help whisk that sweat away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then I'm wondering, you know, with all that
1: in mind, are are there days where you know we should just scrap our run if it if it gets too brutal?
2: Yeah, I think so. And and this really comes down to the individual as well, and who you are, and what what you can can handle. When it comes to heat, it's it's less clear cut than something like air pollution. Um, with heat, it depends a lot on. Our fitness and what we've trained in before, and you know what what we know we can handle. And are we a extremely elite athlete? Are we a recreational runner? Are we just getting into it? Um, all of those are really important to consider when you're thinking about what you do. But of course, you can adapt your training by time of day, or um, you can do some of your warm up indoors, or you can take less time to do the full workout. You can change where you go to have a a cooler route. Um, all these different things that some people have that opportunity to change that and change their behavior. And some people just don't. Um, but I think that there's value in knowing who you are and what your body can handle and respecting the heat. Um, and then also knowing what information do you have at your fingertips that can tell you what, what the weather's going to bring today. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, that, that can be super helpful, but, but in general, I would say it, it with heat, it's, it's not clear cut. There's gray zones. And, um, there's a lot of things you can do to prepare, um, deal with the heat better. But I think that the main thing is just respecting it and knowing that it can be pretty hard on your body, no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, how, how to, how to deal and cope with that. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, when, and we can talk about, air quality as well, but air quality is more of a yeah, you do not go out on certain days. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So talk to us a bit about how, if at all, humans, especially athletes, can adapt to higher temperatures, like as hotter summers, you know, are they going to feel which seem to be on our horizon hotter all all year round? Is that gonna is it gonna feel less extreme to us runners in a few years? Or is that, you know, is the onset of really heat, hot temperatures, are we going to have to push that rock up every push that mm-hmm. rock up a hill every year?
2: Yeah, I think this is a great question. And it, it depends a lot on where you live and what you're used to. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, everyone can kind of has that experiences experience of going from a cooler climate to a warmer climate and just feeling so hot where the local residents are like, yeah, this is fine. Right. Mm -hmm. And so everyone goes through these physiological adaptations each year. And we also have a lot of good and important behavioral adaptations. But in general, every single summer that comes along, no matter where you live, your body's going through this process, this slow acclimatization process where the temperatures at the start of the summer might feel pretty uncomfortable. And as the summer goes on, you kind of get used to it. Mm -hmm. But it can only really go to a certain extent. However, If you're an athlete and you know that you're going to be competing in hot weather or you you know what the summer will bring, you can work to allow yourself to acclimatize to those conditions Mm. Um, and especially thinking about, you know, the first heat of the summer um, Mm -hmm. or even the first heat wave of the summer that's when we see in the general population, the most deaths or the most hospitalizations because people aren't used to it. Their bodies have not acclimatized behaviorally. They're not prepared for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and then as the summer goes on, we see those, um, risks drop off. Mm. However, it's, it's just so completely different when you're dealing with an athlete who's kind of forcing acclimatization, um, and wanting to allow their body to acclimatize versus just the general public. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so some of the, the ways that the human body can acclimatize when we incorporate exercise. So we, so we might say, I have a race in two months in this hot climate. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I do not perform worse in the heat just because I'm not acclimatized to that heat. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've got to expose yourself to the heat and you've got to train in the heat. Mm -hmm. And that's why I say it's understanding what your body can handle and knowing that you are pushing through um, a little bit of a harder workout is going to feel harder because it's in the heat. However, your body's going through these physiological adaptations where you're, training it to start sweating faster and have a higher sweat rate, which is going to help you cool more. You're training it to, um, have better skin blood flow and have a higher stroke volume per heartbeat. Right. Mm-hmm. So then you're, um, essentially you're going to have a lower, uh, heart rate for the, the kind of same output. Mm-hmm. Um, And yeah, so by getting that blood flow flow to the skin, that also helps you cool off faster. Um, It also, your body also learns to have a better thirst response and Hmm. um, it reduces electrolyte losses and increases its plasma volume. So there's all these really important benefits that um, can be gained from safely allowing your body to acclimatize in the heat. And this is, I mean, every single athlete going to Tokyo, um, would have known this and some would have been doing some of these, Mm -hmm. um, heat chamber lab experiments to see like, is my core temperature high enough so I can be, uh, uh, benefiting from these adaptations because mm-hmm. your core temperature has to get to a certain level to start really realizing these. And if it doesn't, you're really not going to get the benefits. Uh-huh. Um, and so, but this takes two weeks of exercising the heat to really start feeling those benefits and they can die off pretty quickly if you start going to a cold climate. Mm-hmm. And so it's just understanding, like I think, and I've noticed too, that in the summertime, we start exercising and in, in the heat more. And, and yeah, my heart rate's lower for the same kind of exercise, which is really great to see. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very different this summer when I'm pregnant, cause I feel like my <laughs> heart rate's higher for everything. Um, but under normal situations, um, yeah, you, you, you start to experience some of these changes and you realize how much easier it is to exercise in the heat. And especially then if you go to a cool location, Mm-hmm. It's really nice, <laughs> right? Right? right yeah. yeah.
1: So training through the summer months makes you a stronger fall runner.
2: <laughs> totally, it it does. You just have to do it safely and and keep, you know, keep in mind like you 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 want to listen to your body. You want to give your body that time to acclimatize, um, and you want to, especially if you know you're going to do a hot training run, kind of on purpose. Stay close to home. Mm. L- Do it with a friend, let someone know where you're going and don't be afraid to call it if you're not feeling good, because Mm. once you start getting into a state where you're getting headaches or dizziness, fatigue, um, you really want to be able to recognize that. And sometimes once you get past that point, you'll get into vomiting. And those are pretty serious situations. You don't want to end up in the emergency room. So it's really understanding your body, your fitness, what you can handle, what you've done before, Mm -hmm. and then have a plan for progressing through those two weeks um, and hopefully have a coach to talk to this about. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So, so Jennifer, hearing you talk, I was having flashbacks, particularly because Tish is my Mm co-host. So Tish and I were both at the 2012 Boston marathon. We were there for, for the weekend and Tish, I so vividly remember having breakfast with you the day before. And that was when they were predicting, you know, temperatures climbing into the nineties in mid April in Boston. And (laughs) because, Mm. you know, because Tish worked at runner's world at the time and had had lived on the East coast, had run Boston a bunch of times, you know, Tish was like, Oh yeah. And the race was saying, if you don't pick up your bib, you can tell us, you know, as long as you haven't picked up your bib, you can opt out and transfer your registration to the following year Well, here, I rarely ever qualified for Boston. I'd flown across the country, didn't have to be there for my job. So Tish was like, yeah, I'm not doing it. And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, I'm still doing it. And and, I mean, it was rough. It was um, my slowest marathon ever. It reached think maybe 93 94 degrees it was you know there's no since it's mid-april in boston there's no leaves on the trees yet so there's just okay. these spindly branches over your head <laughs> and um, everybody's
1: trained through the winter months for yeah, yeah suddenly <laughs> you know suddenly and, and i can't tell you how many people i talked to before that marathon Who're like well i'm gonna stick with my plan anyway I'm like, <laughs> yeah are you crazy
0: <laughs> yeah oh my gosh and you know uh, I still, I think the biggest heroes that day were the people who were handing out ice to the racers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I felt like the Pope. I just wanted to bless those people. Like, I <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you um, wish so, I mean, they had a hose to start uh, spraying you off. Oh. They did have some, so I mean, what do you, you know, because I think it happens more and more. I kind of feel like I'm the heat miser. Like I have so many suddenly, you know, quote unquote abnormally hot days that's racing. I mean, what do you do when you, have maybe trained in the winter or even just trained in more moderate temperatures. And there's just a seemingly freak hot day that that's race day, you know, welcome to it.
2: Yeah. Um, that, that's definitely a tough one because like you said, you're not preparing for that and climatologically Boston and April shouldn't be mm-hmm. that hot. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of a freak event. Um, and that kind of weather variability has always existed, um but we're starting to see um that become a little bit more frequent um and intense at um in the shoulder seasons we say so the spring and fall. Mm-hmm. However, then we know that n- not too many years later we ended up with the freezing cold Boston. Yeah, um, yeah. And so it is this hard thing to prepare for and all you can do is know what's the most likely to occur and keep your eye on the forecast as much as you can two weeks in advance to know what you're going to deal with and have a, have a plan. Right. And so within with heat, you definitely want to go out slower. And mm-hmm. the other interesting thing, and I'm not a marathoner myself, and I don't think I ever have an interest in doing that. <laughs> okay. Um, but knowing how your body's digestion is going to change too, mm. and potentially at least knowing like, in summer heat the years before, how did you deal with that indigestion during hot weather workouts? Mm. And what were you able to handle? Because in that heat, your your body is not focused on digesting food, it's focused on getting rid of heat. And so all of the, the blood is not helping you with digestion. And that's one of the reasons you get a lot more indigestion and feel vomity mm-hmm. um, or otherwise during um, really hot races. So just having plans around that Um, for if it were to occur Mm -hmm. again hopefully we don't ever see that again and just again if you can pull the plug and I mean you are going to run slower when it's that hot out in Mm -hmm. in a marathon event Um, Mm -hmm. you know sprinting is a different story they like Mm -hmm. that heat Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah we we do know um, pretty well that no one's going to have a pb when they're dealing with 90 degrees fahrenheit and um, a lot of humidity, uh, in the start of the season when their body is not acclimatized.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Managing well, expectations. Yeah.
2: Managing yeah. expectations. That's a good one. And, and, one thing we, we sometimes see too, is, you know, the, the, the runners that we worry about the most in races like that are the ones that are near the back. Yeah. Yeah. Because They're putting their body through very intense metabolic activity for their given fitness level mm-hmm. for the longest period of time. Right. So worried boss. about exactly so we're not worried about the two hour and 12 finishers or t- t- 228 finishers as much as we're worried about the the four or five six hour finishers right mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. my hand is raised.
1: yes
2: yep uh-huh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> i've seen a, a race or two if if people don't make it to a certain point by a certain time on yeah. a day, pull you off right they'll pull them off or have them turn around early and yeah. that's just part of, I think what we're going to see a little bit more of at least and, and whether we see a lot more extremes or not, just understanding what's happened in the past to use that information to prepare better for future races.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's um, shift to air quality, something that I sadly have confronted too much in the past few years here in the West with rampant wildfires, and I anticipated, um, you know, getting worse this month of September. Um, so what are the threats to active individuals outside? It's so much, so much more than just smoky lungs.
2: Yeah, there's, it's it's definitely um, a lot more serious in terms of acute impacts, mm-hmm. Um than heat. When you think about something like a wildfire, um, and you think about all the particulates in the air, and you can actually really see it and mm-hmm. and start to feel it and cough, and and on those days when the, the air quality index is pretty high and unhealthy, you just want to avoid. Um, outdoor activity and you want to hopefully you have access to somewhere to go indoors to complete your exercise Um, but yeah there's lots of issues around eye and respiratory tract irritation and if you're someone who already has an illness or serious lung disorder um, it can even further reduce your lung function, um, exacerbate, um, asthma, and, uh, it can even lead to things like heart failure and, um, premature death. So,
1: um,
2: a lot more to think about, I think, but um, it's one of those things that at least with a forest fire, um, you're you're seeing it more. Heat's very invisible. A lot of air pollution is visible, uh, but the particulate matter from a forest fire is not invisible and, and you can see it and, and you can tell when it's a bad day. And then obviously we have a lot of information at our fingertips to look at the mm-hmm. maps and look at the sensors and tell us what they're saying with respect to pollutant levels and the air quality index.
1: Mm-hmm. And we
2: know too that certain segments of the population are going to be more at risk. So elderly um, children, pregnant women um, are especially vulnerable to um, high levels of air pollution. Mm -hmm.
1: So, and tell us about ozone pollution. What, what is that and how does that impact runners?
2: Yeah. So ozone is um, it's one of the primary pollutants that the EPA is interested in measuring. And it's a, it's a secondary pollutant, meaning that it's formed from other pollutants or other Um, uh, molecules in the air. So it essentially is created by chemical reactions between NOx. So you think NO2, NO, uh, and volatile organic compounds. And this is why you see more ozone in areas that have a lot of industry and a lot of traffic, um, a lot of power plants. um, And then the other way that or I would, you could say the other ingredients that are needed for ozone to form is uh, high temperatures and sunlight. And Mm -hmm. so you often don't see those really high ozone days as much in the cold winter cities. Mm -hmm. Um, And you'll see it much more prominently in the warm summer days. And it follows a, a pretty clear pattern of being highest in the middle of the day. And then it drops off overnight when Um, There's no more chemical reactions occurring. So that's why you'll hear the term photochemical smog, uh, because you need the photons um, and the chemicals there to create that ozone. And so then it goes through cycles of being created and broken down. And so it's not coming from our tailpipe, but it's it's being created from a lot of the stuff that comes from our tailpipes. Hmm.
0: All right. All right. So, what index should runners pay attention to when determining if it's safe to exercise outdoors? I mean, like, you know, my iPhone weather app will show you know, i will say unsafe air conditions, Yeah. But like, I mean, what are the, what are the numbers? What, what index? Um, because I just think, you know, we're so craving to go out and get in a <laughs> good run that it it's really tantalizing. You really have, I, I'm, I know, you know, last summer I was just like, no, no, no bad for my health. It's like, yeah. just, yeah. So what should we be yeah. looking for?
2: Um, so the, in the U S the air quality index is the most common index used to um, give a sense of what the conditions overall are outside and what it means for different groups of the population. Um, and the air quality index will take the, the highest concentration pollutant out there and base its index value on that. So if PM 2.5 is really bad that day, it's going to use PM 2.5. Um, if, uh, ozone is really bad that day, it's going to use ozone. Mm. Um, There's other health indices out there for air quality. So Canada has the Air Quality Health Index, which actually does a little bit of a weighting of multiple pollutants. Um, However, they still end up giving you numbers that can tell you, okay, what's unhealthy for sensitive groups, so that Mm -hmm. would be orange, what's just completely unhealthy, what's very hazardous. And so um, depending on who you are and if you have any underlying conditions, that can help you make a decision. But yeah, if it's in, at least for me, like if, if it's yellow, um, it just, it's more just limiting your prolonged outdoor activity, or maybe you don't do, um, your hardest workout that day and you just do an easier run if it's a yellow day, but once you're getting into orange, Mm -hmm. it's more about limiting that prolonged outdoor exertion. And then anything red, purple, maroon, you want to, not not be going out there Mm -hmm. unfortunately um and hopefully you can do a workout inside somewhere Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. so how do weather and air pollution kind of uh join forces to create even more of a threat for runners
2: yeah so um i talked about this a little bit when we're thinking about photochemical ozone and and just how to you need those, the hot conditions and the sunlight to be creating that ozone. So that's one way we know that as we have hotter conditions, um, that allows the ozone to form more readily. um, Mm. And it could then be forming um, earlier in the day or uh, more throughout the year. Um, But I think, and we can think about a lot of different regions uh, across the country that deal with um, topographical influences that cause Um, these layers or lids kind of on the atmosphere that don't allow pollution to rise out of something like a valley so we can think Mm -hmm. about mountainous areas we can think about the la basin we can think about we have we're in a valley here surrounded by mountains in phoenix and so when you get these topographical effects, you often see more trapping of air pollution, which can then increase the concentration as it builds up over days. And and this can happen a lot more in the summertime when it's hotter and you get these stable air masses plopping themselves down over these regions. Mm -hmm. And stability just means that the the air can't rise out and move out. And so day after day after day, it can build up and build up and build up. And so that's when you get into um, these more and this is not, I mean, forest fires are a whole different thing. This is more thinking about just general pollution from cars and how it can build up day after day. And that can often coincide with heat waves. And so you have this heat and air quality um, issue at the same time, which is not good. Um, So watching out for that is important. So, but as we move forward and thinking about how can changing weather patterns join forces um, with causing worse air pollution, I think that's important to consider. Um, And then Just with respect to forest fires, I think, um, I mean, these are natural things that occur all the time. However, um, the conditions, um, as of late have been more ripe for Mm -hmm. fires to, if they do start, whether it's, um, uh, most fires start by, um, Natural causes or human causes. And if they do start, there's more likelihood that they will start and will be able to spread because the conditions out there are more mm-hmm. ripe, meaning mm-hmm. um, hotter, drier, there's vegetation present, um,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and especially if it becomes windy. So, right now we're in the middle of fire season, um, and hopefully we don't lose as many acres as 2020, which was a really bad year. Mm-hmm. Um, but just acknowledging that certain weather conditions each year are going to increase the likelihood for forest fires, so finding ways, um, just as a society, that we can manage the forests better um, is really important, and then hopefully uh, bring more rain to the regions that really need it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So I know you've done some research on this, but how does socioeconomic status enter into the equation in terms of how much a person or a segment of the population is affected by something like air condition, air pollution,
2: sorry? Um, quite a lot, actually. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, vulnerability researchers that, that look into this and, and try and understand past and current and future issues around who's exposed to air pollution, um, why are they exposed to more air pollution, especially in cities. Um, and, and what can be done about it. Mm-hmm. I think that COVID really highlighted uh, more vulnerable segments of the population that um, because of where they grew up and, and where they currently live with uh, worse air pollution, they have more lung problems, mm-hmm. which resulted in more issues with COVID if they were to uh, get COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's um, a, a really sad thing to think about and it's definitely inequitable. And um, you you can start thinking about okay, where in urban areas is you know lower income is a lower income population living because the cost of land is cheaper because you're next to a eight lane highway mm-hmm. or um, a floodplain you're on a floodplain or um, you're in you know the the lowest area of the valley which is where a lot of the air pollution will settle mm-hmm. or. Um, in the past to um, or near industry, right? So that's a big one. So being closer to industry
1: Mm -hmm. um,
2: is often associated with lower property values. Mm -hmm. Um, And so then we're putting lower socioeconomic um, populations at at more risk. Then the other thing that has been um, talked about quite a bit over the last few years is just what, what happened in the past in terms of redlining, where Um, banks could refuse a loan or refuse insurance to someone because they live in an area that was deemed to be of poor financial risk. So they've Mm -hmm. redlined loans to buyers. And so that that caused certain areas to be lower value land and more industry to be built up there, more roadways, um, and less things like green space and trees and Mm -hmm. and all that that can help mitigate the pollution. And so um, there's a lot of, um, I think, work to be done to, um, minimize that, um, those impacts. And then of course, once you're of lower socioeconomic status, you don't have the ability to go work out indoors, or, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't want, if you can't pay for it, um, and you might not have a very good HVAC system in your house. So even if it is, um, uh, a, a bad air quality day and you want to work out inside, uh, y- you might still have higher levels of pollutants indoors, or you might not even be able to close your windows because mm-hmm. you need that airflow depends mm-hmm. on where you live and all that. But, um, yeah, there's a lot of downs- downstream effects that can, mm. can come from these decisions that were made so long ago. Yeah, right. It's just, it's just multipliers. Yeah, you know,
0: It's just, you know, I, as you're talking, I just saw dominoes just falling one after another.
2: Um, yeah. 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 And we think about that a lot here and work in areas um, in South Phoenix that are lower income, deal with higher levels of heat and pollution, and even try to see how we can work with athletes to make sure they have the same um abilities, the same um, the same opportunities to succeed in the future with respect to sports if they really want it. Um and and that that's tough, right? If if you mm-hmm. um it's almost like how, how you got to break through that barrier. You, you don't want to feel like you're set up to fail, but how can you give them those opportunities in different ways so that it's, it's, and that's what equity is about. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, access, access, um, and, and making sure that, um, that, that, everyone, I mean, there's it, we can give equal access, but then we can also make it more equitable and give them even more access. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, For climate science as a sort of a broader topic, what do you think most runners miss about the threats of a changing and warming environment?
2: Yeah, I think this is definitely ties back to the question you just asked just around equity and socioeconomic status, and I think that um, as conditions slowly become worse and we deal with more extremes. There's certain segments of the population that just won't be able to participate anymore, potentially. Um, I don't think running is a very expensive sport compared to many other sports, but, um, if, if they're already being impacted, then those vulnerable segments of the population, their participation can lessen even more, um, in things like running events, if they're not able to train the same way someone with, um, uh, higher means or higher coping capacity during heat uh, or air quality events can and so I think that those equity and sport issues are important in terms of who has access to what who can pay for what and that'll affect um running um and I think that overall when we think about climate change and impacts on on people globally it's it's the 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 lowest income of the lowest coping or adaptive capacity that are being affected the most and they're often the ones that are causing the least issues yeah. in terms of a change in climate. Um, and so I think that's important because with, it, it could result in less diversity across um, the running population um, and uh, potentially less participation. Mm. Wow. We can, we can't, it, running can't get very much less
0: diverse given given what an overwhelmingly white sport it is right now oh that um makes
2: yeah i think that's one thing but then i mean we can all think about the impacts to ourselves but those impacts if we have the means to seek air conditioning to um travel to races to Mm -hmm. go to the gym to go to a nice outdoor pool um on on the, the the worst days then um you know, we're, we're going to be impacted far less. And so it's to, to, to people who have those means, it's climate change might feel more like a nuisance, right. Mm -hmm. But to people who don't have the means, it's going to feel more like a disaster. Um, and it's just how the, the coping capacity of different individuals, um, and what they have at their fingertips to be able to help them with Mm -hmm. um, different extremes. And, um, I think, yeah, everyone deserves to be able to participate in sport and, Mm -hmm. um, exercise and, and unfortunately climate change could make it less accessible to certain people. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so not to make light of it, but do you ever see a day where there will only be races in like November to February because the likelihood of extreme heat is just too great at any other time of year?
2: Yeah, if I had a crystal ball, <laughs> I mean, you can look at climate models and look at the potential likelihood of um, certain changes in global air temperature. But what does that mean for Boston, or what does that mean mm-hmm. for Chicago? And it's that's then more about weather variability. But you can say we're kind of loading the dice a little bit to mm-hmm. be able to roll more extreme heat events in. Um, like April and Mm May-ish um however still like when you're working with race directors understanding the climatology so you know what is the climate norm Mm -hmm. in Boston in April for the last 30 years Mm -hmm. that's one big hint in terms of what it's going to be like um and then starting to pay attention to when you have three to two weeks out um what's the weather bringing and and that's when the forecasters can have the best idea of what kind of synoptic weather systems are coming in across the country but then for race organizers knowing what's their contingency plan if it does become an extremely hot day or if it does become an extremely cold day um having contingency plans in place for that, I think will become, I mean, I think race organizers already have that, but -hmm. just having it a little bit more set in stone and like in the race waiver so that athletes are aware of what would happen in this case that, um, we ended up with these conditions again, like in 2012. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's the best you can do. And, and if you do want to move it uh, to March, you could do that, but then you could run into a snowstorm, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. w- weather is fickle and you never know what you're going to get. And I still think that using the climatological norms for a city based on the last 20 to 30 years is the best you can do right now. And then paying attention and, and having a plan in place for when extremes occur. And I mean, we got a really interesting example of this with Tokyo when. Uh, we knew it was going to be hot in Tokyo climatologically it's hot and disgustingly humid in August. Um, and no one should have been surprised by that. Um, Mm -hmm. and so the marathon got moved to Sapporo, which should have climatologically been cooler. However, on the days of the marathon in Sapporo, it was hotter than in Tokyo. And that's really bad luck because, um, the likelihood of that occurring is so low Mm -hmm. and it's just too bad. And and you saw, they changed the women's marathon, moved it earlier by an hour, not only like 10 hours in advance. Right. So they Mm -hmm. had certain contingency plans in place. Now Mm -hmm. Um, it was still hot. It was still humid and the athletes still had to deal with conditions. They probably never had to deal with before. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a huge part of, of the, the broadcast and, and how they're dealing with the heat. How, what are they eating? are they able to hold things down? Mm -hmm. Um, and all that kind of stuff.
0: Wow. Wow. I love you saying weather is fickle. That's so like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, it's like, Oh, you have a PhD and even you still say weather is fickle. Oh, for sure. For
2: sure. I mean, it's, um, it's definitely one of the hardest things to predict. It's very, it can still be very chaotic. Mm -hmm. Um, and little changes in the system can cause large changes further down. So Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you for shedding some light on the subject for us.
2: Oh, happy to do so.
0: Great. Take good care.
2: Yeah, you too. Thank
1: you, guys. Wow,
0: mm-hmm. that was a, that was a lot to think about. Um,
1: it was. Now, Sarah, would you rather run in a snowstorm or heat?
0: <laughs> um well, got you know, I've just run so many races in overly <laughs> hot conditions. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, n- Oh, gosh. <laughs> How about I sit that one
1: out? All right am right there with you.
0: Well, if you're looking to put a face to a voice, please follow us on Instagram where we are at The Mother Runner. We would appreciate that. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles.